thought. 1941. It is a disastrous discovery, as Emerson says somewhere, that we exist. I mean, it is disastrous when instead of merely attending to a rose, we are forced to think of ourselves looking at the rose with a certain type of mind and a certain type of eyes. It is disastrous because if you're not very careful, the colour of the rose gets attributed to our optic nerves and its scent to our noses. And in the end, there is no rose left. The professional philosophers have been bothered about this universal blackout for over 200 years, and the world has not much listened to them. But the same disaster is now occurring on a level we can all understand. We have recently discovered that we exist in two new senses. The Freudians have discovered that we exist as bundles of complexes. The Marxians have discovered that we exist as members of some economic class. In the old days, it was supposed that if a thing seemed obviously true to a hundred men, then it was probably true in fact. Nowadays, the Freudian will tell you to go and analyse the hundred. You will find that they all think Elizabeth I a great queen because they all have a mother complex. Their thoughts are psychologically tainted at the source, and the Marxist will tell you to go and examine the economic interests of the hundred. You will find that they all think freedom a good thing because they are all members of the bourgeoisie, whose prosperity is increased by a policy of laissez-faire. Their thoughts are ideologically tainted at the source. Now, this is obviously great fun, but it's not always been noticed that there is a bill to pay for it. There are two questions that people who say this kind of thing ought to be asked. The first is, are all thoughts thus tainted at the source, or only some? The second is, does the taint invalidate the tainted thought, in the sense of making it untrue or not? If they say that all thoughts are thus tainted, then of course we must remind them that Freudianism and Marxism are as much systems of thought as Christian theology or philosophical idealism. The Freudian and the Marxian are in the same boat with all the rest of us, and cannot criticise us from outside. They've sawn off the branch they were sitting on. If, on the other hand, they say that the taint need not invalidate their thinking, then neither need it invalidate ours, in which case they have saved their own branch but also saved ours along with it. The only line they can really take is to say that some thoughts are tainted and others are not, which has the advantage, if Freudians and Marxians regard it as an advantage, of being what every sane man has always believed. But... If that is so, we must then ask how you find out which are tainted and which are not. It's no earthly use saying that those are tainted which agree with the secret wishes of the thinker. Some of the things I should like to believe must in fact be true. It's impossible to arrange a universe which contradicts everyone's wishes in every respect at every moment. Suppose I think after doing my accounts that I have a large balance at the bank. And suppose you want to find out whether this belief of mine is wishful thinking. You can never come to any conclusion by examining my psychological condition. Your only chance of finding out is to sit down and work through the sum yourself. When you have checked my figures, then and then only will you know whether I have that balance or not. If you find my arithmetic correct, then no amount of vapouring about my psychological condition can be anything but a waste of time. If you find my arithmetic wrong, then it may be relevant to explain psychologically how I came to be so bad at my arithmetic, and the doctrine of the concealed wish 
will become relevant, but only after you have yourself done the sum and discovered me to be wrong on purely arithmetical grounds. It's the same with all thinking and all systems of thought. If you try to find out which are tainted by speculating about the wishes of the thinkers, you are merely making a fool of yourself. You must find out on purely logical grounds which of them do, in fact, break down as arguments. Afterwards, if you like, go on and discover the psychological causes of the error. In other words, you must show that a man is wrong before you start explaining why he is wrong. The modern method is to assume without discussion that he is wrong, and then distract his attention from this, the only real issue, by busily explaining how he became so silly. In the course of the last fifteen years I've found this vice so common that I've had to invent a name for it. I call it bulverism. Someday.